Okay, uh, a welcome to uh, Gideon and to Autumn, who's nursing, and to Mariah, who is the recipient thereof. <laughs> it is good to have you guys here. Praise God. Uh, always welcome. Um, how many of you have uh, actually read the book of uh, Robin Hood? Read the book. Read the book. Good, good. How many of you saw the movie? Okay, saw the movie. Which one? Which one? The book was bad. The book was bad. The Yeah, I grew up on the Errol Flynn movie, but I do bring to your attention when Robin the Hood. Robin of the Hood, Robin I think, right? Robin the Hood um, meets John Little, and um, you know he was tall, and you know this guy was taller still, you know, and that kind of thing, and um, it, and broader still was the was the stranger, and um, I, I think you'll recall that uh, Robin Hood got the better of the man, and they became friends, and John Little became known as Little John, of course. John Little was enormous, so it was sort of a, a play on uh, on his size. Um, so it is with 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 great joy that I want to rename a man in our midst today. Um, I have heard this gentleman addressed as Yonatan Hakaton, Jonathan the Small. <laughs> but I tell you, among men, he is without equal when it comes to, he's a giant among men, in Torah knowledge, Talmud study, and in singing our blessings. Yonatan Hagadol. because he's just given me great sums of money, which, which we're still hoping for. But, um, but because yesterday, along with the Marine Corps, was his birthday, 21 years, and he is now officially legal to not only die for our country, but to buy alcohol as well. So, happy birthday, Yonatan Hagadon. Uh, on the... Uh, on, <laughs> for those of you, the little slider button is for um, This is on the QT, but uh, 
let's see, how can I do it on a QT? <laughs> We're pausing recording. Good. Uh, this is the fifth portion of the year, Kaye Sarah, uh, which means Life of Sarah. Uh, today is the 25th of Cheshvan, which means that next week we must have a Rosh Chodesh. It's the, the head of the moon, the beginning of the month, and so forth. Uh, the first of Kislev, as we saw in our prayer service this morning, uh, led by uh, Greg Upham. Uh, is on the fifth day of the week. That is Thursday. Will be the first of Kislev, so you will have your Rosh Kodesh blessing on the evening of Wednesday. And when would you be doing the uh, Kiddush Levan? Next Shabbat. The one after. Not this coming Shabbat, but the next one, because even this coming Shabbat there'll be so little of a moon, that you really can't do it. So the following Shabbat after Havdalah, actually right before Havdalah. It's on the page right before your Havdalah blessings and whatnot in your sitter is Kiddush Levana. It's a great thing to teach the kids that God has, as we learned in Genesis, provided these visible signs that he is continuing to bless us, that he has allowed us, as the Shehekiyani blessing goes, to reach yet another season, another month. Praise God. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. On the uh, 29th of November, that is the Thursday after Thanksgiving, uh, Lynn Bowen and Karen Gordon are hosting a Q&A at Lynn's house for the uh, Torah Inquisitive folks that they've bumped into. Uh, and they've opened that up for you guys to bring whomever you would like. Um, this is to answer any kind of question that's been raised towards us as Messianic believers. Um, that is the Thursday after Thanksgiving. I think it's at 6.30 to 29. And uh, there'll be a three-judge panel. Uh, uh, filled a, yeah, at night? Yeah, at night. Um, Rick and Greg and I will, will be at a panel up in the front, and they'll mostly be answering the questions because I'm going to kind of moderate the questions. We are going to record it. We're going to put it online. Uh, so if you got folks that have been asking questions and you feel unequal to the task, or you're a prophet in your hometown, and, and they just won't listen to you, or you've given them your answers, and your answers just don't seem to be cutting the mustard. Um, sometimes if they just hear it from a baritone voice, it, it works. And uh, if, that's, uh, if that's what you need, bring it up, and uh, you're, you're welcome to come to that. Uh, I think there's going to be refreshments afterwards, so if you're going to bring 20, 30 people, you're probably going to want to get in touch with Karen or Lynn so that you can you know, have it catered. Yeah, if I just add a, you know, it's a comment to that, the whole, the whole idea here is you know, people have, have seen you know, the Gordon's lifestyle, my wife's lifestyle, some of these people are coming from our, the homeschool group we're involved in, there'll be others, I don't know who all will, um, and so they've got questions, so it truly is just a Q&A, we're, we're not there to convince anybody of anything other than you're asking why we do what we do? Well, with God's help, we'll be happy to explain. Yeah, there it is. So there won't be sermons. Uh, there won't be arguments and debates. It'll strictly be, here's your question, here's our answer. Now, meditate on that kind of thing. Okay? So that's, uh, I'm excited about that. That'll be great. So um, bring that up. This Tuesday night for the men, uh, if you saw the post. You come Tuesday night? Yes. Outstanding. Outstanding. Uh, obviously, guest lecturer, he'll be teaching this. 
Anton Hagadol, who will be uh, leading the discussion with 10 questions that he's getting uh, from folks out of the blue. But they're asking him about his walk, and they're asking all of us. Um, so he's going to be working that discussion with us uh, to, to really put together some good response on how, how do you deal with Paul's writings? Do we just toss that? Is that not part of your Bible anymore? And stuff like that. So um, that'll be a great uh, discussion time and a great class. So if you've got folks that have been you know, kind of wondering, what is it you do on Tuesday nights? And is it a bingo game? Or do you guys bet? Or you know, what's up with that? You know, you probably want to bring them this Tuesday night and, and they can share in and uh, participate in that discussion. And of course, um, with, uh, with the help of several of the men here, um, we now are podcasting the Tuesday night's uh, discussions, which I'm, I'm thrilled with. So on your iPad, your iPhone, or on the computer, you just go to iTunes Store and you can actually have all of that whenever you want it. Um, we are going backwards in time and have somewhere between three and 400 hours of teaching. Uh, to put on there. We now have 18 hours already uploaded and uh, ready to go. So Peter's last deal on witches and wives and witches, wives and wives and witchcraft, wives and witchcraft, which is actually about medium, the medium uh, video and so forth. So, uh, but that one's already there along with 17 others. And uh, my hope is that on this weekend, aside from preparing for the fruit trees to arrive next week, um, I will learn how to get. And I tell you right now. Honestly, with no, no fanfare, I am, I am only trying to learn how to put the PowerPoint presentation with the audio so that I can get Greg Upham's We Don't Do Christmas class anymore up there before Christmas. Mm -hmm. If you haven't heard that class and you haven't seen that, that, you know, in the birth of Messiah and Sukkot and the orders of the priests and the 24 series and zip, zap, zip, zip, and the whole it's unbelievable. So... Um, just to lift up uh, the little big man over there. Unbelievable. We're going to try and get that. And of course, what's on the heels of Hanukkah? Purim. Right? Right around the turn of the year, we'll be doing Purim. And he's got a great Purim class as well. So I want to try and get that put together. So pray for me and for wisdom and for all of the other men, uh, many of whom are in this room, that I'm going to ask for help. <clears throat> okay. Um, you may have noticed that in your sitter, if you're, if you're doing the daily prayers or on, on Shabbat morning with us, uh, you may have noticed that the gray boxes are like, not there anymore. We don't do gray boxes. The next time we do a gray box, it's for Hanukkah. And Hanukkah's coming up. Now, if you think that Hanukkah is a replacement for Christmas, you are mistaken. The two are not related in hardly any way at all. The fact that here in America, Jews, pretty much only here in America on the planet, give gifts for Hanukkah is just to throw you off. Don't think that Hanukkah, that's right, don't think that Syncretism, right. Don't think that Hanukkah and Christmas are, are equated and that now you do Hanukkah instead of Christmas. That's a bad response to anyone who's asking you about your holidays. Okay? It's two different deals. So, when is Hanukkah? It's the 25th end. Of 25th of Kislev instead of 25th of December. Very clever. Yeah, that's true, it is. And this year, that's at the end of the first full week of December. On Saturday, Shabbat, the 9th of December, at sundown, begins, the 8th of December, um, begins, in the 9th of December, Sunday. So at the end of Shabbat, at the end of the 8th, when the sun goes down, we light the first candle for Hanukkah. Okay. So you want to prepare for that. And, uh, you know, again, a lot of what we do is just tradition. So make some traditions. 
You want to know how to start? Read some of the traditions of the sages. Read some of the traditions of the Messianic believers um, years ago. Read some of the call and find out about the traditions of some of the Messianic believers here in this room. The Shakarit service after Thanksgiving, the Shakarit service after Thanksgiving has, every year prior to this, always been canceled because people have family. It's it's a big uh, holiday out. time. I'm sorry. Food coming. They can't move. <laughs> right? <laughs> We're going to kneel during Shakari because they can't stand up. We tried um, That's right. But this year we, we do want to offer. We follow it. Davin, boom. But this year we do want to offer the opportunity since we, we really do have a neat community. And I don't know about you, but I always look forward to getting together. Um, but we will not be having a shakrit service here. However, I am I am formally asking all of you now, and I'm going to send out a, an email blast to the to the community. If you want to host the shakrit service, oneg and a portion discussion, or just shakrit service, or just oneg, or something like that. If you want to do something on that Shabbat, just let me know, let Morgan know, and we will do a meetup. And there you go. You, you, can, you can be a part of the community and ho actually host something. Several folks in this room have hosted, and it's not as bad as you think. <laughs> I mean, it really isn't, because everybody is so grateful to be able to go to your house instead of to our house, that they will, they will help you by bringing food, plates, chairs, you know, balloons, you know, whatever, whatever it takes. So um, that's the one. And then the Shakari service right before Christmas has traditionally been canceled as well. This time, I think it's like on the 22nd of uh, December. We've never canceled that, We've never canceled that one? Last year, we met on Christmas. That's right, we met on Christmas Day. Remember that? And you and I were marveling that we have, did we have a minion? <laughs> we had a minion on Christmas Day, that's right. Um, this year, um, my father-in-law's... The audio. It's a big secret. Oh, this is on the QT. <laughs> this, this also is on the on recording. So we won't talk about that anymore. So that's the deal. Then. That's right. Don't wonder what the blank was. There were two quiet options. Okay. All righty. So before we uh, before we get started on the portion discussion, a uh, couple of quick questions. First off, did you notice the Ger Toshav? Mm -hmm. Yes. Right. So what am I talking about? What's Ger Toshav? Proselyte. <laughs> 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 it says proselyte. What is it? What is it truly? We've mis we've misidentified what the word proselyte means. That I because agree. The word proselyte in Greek does not mean a convert. Correct. It does not. It means, it means someone who has come over. So, what is the literal translation? Resident alien. Someone living with you. And they've actually decided to join you. They now live among you. And Abraham uses this, which I think is the greatest... Um, example of what a Ger Toshav really is. And, and to Rick's point, when it gets translated as proslutas, um, we, we, we lose it and turn it into, thank you, sages, into convert. So, a Ger Toshav. So, 
Abraham is living amongst these people and wants to buy a place to bury his wife. I think one small change from the normal is it's not a ger toshav, it's ger vatoshav. Mm-hmm. So he's, he is a resident and an alien okay. among you. So the sages teach that that's like a good, the good balance the Jew is supposed to have. He both feels an affinity for the people around him, he take, he's, he's a, a good citizen in a sense, but at the same time he recognizes he's not really from here. Yes, exactly right. So isn't this the same word as Tishbi? Is that right? Or is that different? Tokshav. Tokshav. Tishbi. Same Hebrew spelling. Different T- vowels. So what's the Tishbi? You know, we talk about him uh, after Havdalah, but a lot of people may have any idea what I'm talking about. The Tishbite in English. The Tishbite is how it's translated in English. So Kings, First Kings chapter 17, verse 1, is when uh, the first time that Elijah the prophet is introduced and he's described as um, Eliyahu HaTishbi HaTokshav, if you look at it in the, in the Hebrew. But Tishbi and Tokshav, exact same Hebrew letters, same word, just different vowel points. So there's a play on the Hebrew there. And what, what's interesting about all that is um, there's a debate among the sages as to what tribe Eliyahu is from because uh, the scriptures don't seem to really be clear on it. There's one uh, point of view that says, well, he's the great, he's, you know, he's the prophet, and most of the greatest great prophets, you know, Jeremiah, Isaiah, and others, were Kohanim. So he was, he's probably a Kohen. So was John the baptizer. Yes, yes. So there's one view that says Eliyahu was probably a Kohen because, you know, all the great prophets came from the Kohanim. There's another uh, view that says, well, he's from Tishbi, which is in the uh, tribal territory that belonged to Yosef. Um, and so, Good name. so therefore, he's, uh, he's uh, an Ephraimite, basically. He's a descendant of either Ephraim or, or Manasseh, and he, and he, because he lived in, that, in their tribal territory. That's, that's one view. And then the other view is that in one of the genealogies, and I forget the address of where it's located at the moment, but there's a um, there's an Eliyahu that is uh, listed in the genie in the genealogy of the tribe of uh, Benjamin. Benjamin. Right. So there's another view that says, well, that's him here in this genealogy, and so he's a Benjamite. But the point is this: there's no consensus. There's just these different views, but there's no consensus. And in view number four. So my the, current the view euphemite is, view <laughs> is that maybe there's maybe the reason it's kind of vague and maybe there's not any consensus. Maybe that's not by accident. Maybe you can't really figure out what tribe he's from because maybe he ain't from a tribe. Right? Maybe he is literally Hatishbi Hatukshav, meaning he is Eliyahu who was who had settled, the settler in Tishbite. Meaning that he was not originally from there. Perhaps he's a he was originally a goy who became a ger tokshav, and yet he is now the prophet. And yeah. he would be joined to them. And so the this, other cool, if I can just have one. Yeah, thing, the other cool thing about that, if it can't prove any of this, right? This is just 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 another opinion, another another view. But if that view has any merit to it. 
it really brings out when we get to the Berkadashah and we have the Mount of Transfiguration. What do we have? Eliyahu and Moshe with Messiah standing there in the middle, right? And, of course, most of us have heard the drosh that Eliyahu is symbolic of the prophets. Mo Moses is synonymous with the Torah. The Torah and the prophets give witness to Mashiach. The right. Right? But it's also Jew, Gentile, that's attached to himself, are also one in Mashiach, right? So there's a, there's a kind of a neat picture there so. to the extent that that is... And the same thing happens possibly. with the two witnesses in the Apocalypse. Right. These two witnesses parallel the exact same miracles that both Moshe and Eliyahu did. And if they're representing again the, uh, the Gentile and the Jewish community, it's, it's an amazing thing. So, cool. So that was a good thing to see. I like that. I think uh, Abraham... Calls himself a gear, and so does King David, right? So you've got two two players there that are, you know, identifying themselves in some way with being gear, just as we are. So the name of the portion is Life of Sarah, and we open with the death, death of Sarah. Seems kind of weird. What's up with that? Nothing to it. Death part of life. Ten out of ten die. But it's, it's the. The first part of the portion is all about honoring her life. You know, she's she's now passed, and so now we're honoring her life by uh, by you know buying her proper burial place and you know eulogizing her to a certain extent, and, and you know so it's honoring exactly. um, those who passed. And we should notice that Abraham was unwilling to have that burial plot given to him. He wanted to buy it. He wanted to own it. He wanted to be able to say and have the witnesses, this is mine, and I'm burying my wife here. And um, we mentioned the, uh, the dedication of the guys that are, are guarding the uh, Tomb of the Unknown Soldier this morning. Uh, in 1948, they started guarding the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, and they have done it 24-7 since that day. They have never, ever stopped, even in the face of two hurricanes, 2003 and recently Hurricane Sandy. They would not leave. They are honoring the fallen, they're honoring the dead, and it's, it's the same thing we see here. I was also thinking that the story that follows after it says the life of Sarah is mm -hmm. about her children. Exactly. And she's sort of living through that because what we know, we know so much about her just by the way that her children act. That's good. And, and we notice that... Her child, it, I Right. And we notice that it kind of comes to a close when Rebecca is taken in by Isaac. Yeah, right. and it's and cool the blessing that they give Rebecca because it's like may you be the mother of thousands and ten thousands. Exactly. Which is that that is an incredible blessing to see the generations follow you from you. You bet. And it closes with her, with Isaac being comforted for yes. the loss of his mother. So good. Yes. So he's got like bookends there. Yes, ma'am. I got you. Well, but Abraham and Isaac treated remind me of Eshet Hayil. Mm. Her husband is praised in the gates, and the whole. Part of 31 is about her and what she's done, and yet she's brought honor to him and has helped him as he's placed. And so to read about this, about Abraham and how he was treated, just reminded me. Yeah, that's cool. It's a good parallel. Yes, sir. Uh, I think you're the first. Indeed. <coughs> um, you're either going to have to place a bet or keep your elbow off of there because, you know, you, 
You do one of these deals, and I you know, you're trying to get under that auction there, baby. I'm just trying to get on the computer. It's a fake. That's what it is. <laughs> and Jerry Wright is raising his hand again. <laughs> so, uh, verse 2 of chapter 23, and, and Sarah died in Kiryat Arba, the same as Hebron in the land of Canaan, and Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Um, and for those of you who have a Jewish publication in Hebrew, uh, well, you probably, uh, certainly if you have uh, an art scroll from Tanakh, if you look at the, at the last ver uh, word in verse 2, Venlif um, Kota, uh, which is, uh, and, and, and to weep for her, is how it's translated, you'll notice that there's a small cop there. Um, and so why is there a small cop? Well, the, under, the understanding is that it's, it's signaling that when he went and wept for her, that he, he mourned a sh for a short period of time. Like he didn't mourn extensively or for uh, a long period. It was a short period of mourning. And so the question is, well, why, why was it a short period of mourning? And the answer is because Abraham had, had hope and faith that this was not the last time he would see Sarah, because he he, he had hope in the resurrection and in the world to come. So therefore, his mourning is is shortened by virtue of the fact of the hope that he had you know, for the world to come. You know, um, and so that's kind of a cool. It is, and it uh, it parallels with David mourning for his child. He he didn't, you know, as soon as the child died, because he had been prayer and fasting prior to that, the child died. He's like, hey, his his comment to the people that said, wait a minute, what, 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 what are you doing? Was hey, I'm going to go to her, him, or whatever it was. And, you know, speaking of that resurrection, yes, sir. I got you. the the issue with uh, Sarah as well. Is Judaism does not. Uh, although we honor the dead, we do not glorify death, mm. and we do not show death as a as a final resting place. To the point, that, that pagans seems, do this. That pagans seems, do. It seems inconsistent with where, what where I see in the church. Seems to be a part of life, and it's all this. We we just carry on, you know, the great circle, you know. Judaism does not believe that at all. And death, honoring someone who is passed is to honor their life and to hope for the resurrection. Mm -hmm. It's never it's never about the death. But that seems inconsistent with Christianity. As as it almost appears that the dualism of we don't need a body we don't I, need a body. I, I wanna I wanna die. Yeah, yeah. And that that seems decidedly inconsistent Correct. with what we see in Judaism. Judaism treats death as the greatest tragedy. <laughs> and an opportunity then to remember that person each year on that yard yeah, site, which we asked about, and the hope of the resurrection that we would be again together. Good, excellent. Got you in one second. I was going to say, uh, going back to with uh, what Brother Greg said about Abraham looking toward the resurrection uh, in his mourning for Sarah, reminds me of what Yeshua said that Abraham saw my day and saw it and was glad. Mm -hmm. I should have a question, Mr. Sprott-Thomas, on the Ju Judaism view of death. I, I've heard a rumor in the past that um, in Orthodox 
communities uh, suicides are not buried with the rest of the community. Hmm. Is that I didn't know that. Because the, the ultimate sin is right. to take your life. It is a great tragedy. Because you've got the big tragedy. Um, I, I just I was curious if that was true or just a one hmm. of those things. No, no. Anybody know? Wait, I'm, I'm going to ask Siri about that. <laughs> yes, sir, I got just, you. Just as a question, it, when I, I was listening to the portion, and it was interesting how many times Sarah is referred to in this portion as the dead. Like, I'm going to bury my dead. Oh, you go ahead and bury your dead. And they keep saying that. And I was wondering if there was any, does anybody know of a, a good reason why that is? She's caught, it says uh, um, later on, after this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife. And I just would have expected that throughout the conversation that Abraham was having. But I don't know. It, I, I, I'll just speculate here. When I was reading it, I, I sort of felt like I was being immersed for a moment in the pagan culture. Right. He's talking to Hittites. Right. Go okay. ahead, bury your dead. Well, I don't want to bury my dead, as you put it, without actually, you know, that kind of thing. So he's okay. in that cultural motif. That makes sense. And then when he stepped back out of it, now well, he's going to bury dead. his wife. Okay. Maybe okay. he also wanted to bury Adam and Eve there, too, since the Hamash notes that they were buried in the same tomb. How so cool perhaps is it was that? a bunch of dead Good girl. people yeah. to bury. So since they didn't uh, cremate, he would be carrying around a Bodies. sack of bones. Yes. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Or yeah. maybe he knew where they were previously and, and, and right. bought them. So you're dead. Everybody in Gastonia right now is going, Did you say Adam and Eve? <laughs> <laughs> that was Morgan Bartos. Yes. Yes. No relation whatsoever. Hey! <laughs> we have a um, really interesting uh, location given here, which is kind of unusual. And then it happens to just note this is Kiryat Arba. Yeah, what's um, up with that? Yeah. How did yeah. they do that? Now, what's particularly strange, Kiryat Arba, there's two meanings. One, one they say um, is that there are four illustrious couples. I can go through year four again. Abraham, Sarah, Jacob, Isaac, their Adam wives. Adam and Eve. Uh, oh, Adam and Eve. Okay, so that's your four. Now, He's trying the to other, help. The other, to help. The other possibility daughter. here, the other possibility here is that it's named for the later because there are four giants who live here. Right. And later when they're conquering... Uh, Canaan, um, that is one of the big, like, scary uh-oh points. It's like, ooh, and then you got the big dudes who live in Kiryat Arba in Hebron. What's intriguing about that is the fact that later, if you read the commentary for this portion, you'll note this is one of the three times where the Jewish people buy something, and it's theirs. Hebron, Jerusalem, where the temple is, stands, and also in um, Shechem, they buy property there, Jacob does. All three of those right now are currently under the control of the Palestinians. Mm. Jews are not permitted to go to those places. And interestingly enough, really? about these, about so my reason I bring up Kiryat Arba it's is, it's almost like Hebron is a battleground spot. Mm -hmm. That's one reason why Abraham goes back. That's one reason why there's a bit of a tussle to get this. If you read this description, so um, what's his name, uh, Ephron, is a bit of a snake. And he charges an outrageous price for this property. And it's like, why on earth would Abraham want that property right, right. so much? But there seems to be a significance to this territory, and as we unfortunately see so often, where um, where God has established significance on something, Hasatan does as well. So it would seem it's no surprise to us that in the very place where Abraham and his children are buried, in this illustrious burial ground, is precisely where the four giants would show up and stake their claim. Yeah. And this is exactly why Caleb later says, out of all of the land of Israel, I want that part. So that's one of the things I think that's, it, it's important for us to realize that um, 
where God has given us significance, there's going to be a fight. There's going to be a really intense battle, but it's extremely worth it, and we need to be willing to commit ourselves to this fight. And I think that with Abraham, we see this even in his life circumstance. He has the death of his beloved wife here. And I was talking to Juliana. What's so impressive is how he handles it brilliantly. The whole way through, he is humble. He is kind. He, he gets cheated, and he's not angry. He doesn't get frustrated. I mean, he's at like an emotional peak here, and he'd have to be completely excused if he just lost it. But he doesn't. He maintains a phenomenal level of stability and calmness throughout the entire example. He's humble. He's kind. And I think he's really inspiring to us because I think when you read about men, you see that they're just men. But Abraham proves you don't have to be just men. Amen. I, I get you. Um, I noticed this year for the first time the... Was it something I said? Thank you. Thank you. Only one that will be with me till she's fifty. Because she has never said that, but I keep saying this is the Lord's doing. That's right. That's right. I do notice that bowing bowing down to idols, bowing down to stuff other than God is consistently throughout the scripture. Something that the, the people of God are commanded, you know, other people can do that. You can't do right. that. And that's a big deal. And we even see the music's going to play, the band's going to kick up, everybody's going to bow. Three heads are sticking up. Wait a minute, guys, maybe you didn't get it. The music <laughs> plays, the band picks up, and everybody bows down. We won't bow down. And yet here, I think it's verse 3, I'm doing it from memory. The whole verse is simply that Abraham bowed down to the people of the land. And I just think, to your point, he was so willing to do whatever it took in order to get that piece of land. It wasn't a worship thing. He just gave them absolute and total honor in order to make it all come to pass, like you said, in a peaceful manner, I got the deal, and I'm moving on. I just think that... Quick follow-up before this fast. Uh, I just think that sometimes when you read these passages, we, we lose sight of the fact that we're dealing with humans. And I think like Moshe, when he has his moment of striking the rock, it comes right after Miriam dies. There's a lot of pain, a lot of issues he's dealing with sort of overflow there. So I was so impressed to read this passage about Abraham when, he, like I said, he had every reason to just lose it. And he handles himself so well. It was really impressive. Yeah, he's an impressive guy. What? Let's make him the patriarch. Nope. Yes, mm. <laughs> so he also had uh, supposedly just sacrificed, or almost sacrificed Isaac shortly before this too. So, just I just want to reemphasize the the point that Joshua raised. There's only three real estate transactions that are recorded in Scripture. This being the first one. The other one being when David bought the what is now the Temple Mount, and then uh, J, uh, Joseph's tomb, you know, the property in Shechem. Right. So why is it that only those three real estate transactions are worthy to be recorded in quite a bit of detail in the Scripture? And yet today, those and those are the three holiest sites to, to God's people today. And yet, to 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 Joshua's point, they are not controlled. The you know the the Jordanian uh, walk controls the Temple Mount and the Cave of Machpelah, and the Palestinian Authority controls Joseph's tomb. And, and, and they're claiming that, no, 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 this is all ours. 
So the significance to the fact that no, 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 the reason God recorded those three real estate transactions is because I believe he knew exactly we would get to this point in time, sure. this point in history, and there would be this very public international debate yeah. about who, who owns rightly it. owns and can claim the land. And God, in his uh, omnipotence and in his you know, omniscience, made sure that that was documented for from a the get go. We, we've got it. That's exactly right. That's why so many of Abraham's descendants are real estate attorneys. <laughs> and we're not just talking about a notary seal on it. Right? That's right. right. That's right. Where is uh, Where is Juliana? Where did uh, Who was she with? Who'd she go to? No. No, no, no. It wasn't. It wasn't. I'm thinking about in the land. Uh, it was Lori. Christine and Morgan. No, it was Juliana and Lori. Lori. Right. Where'd they go? Rabbi with our Cattell. favorite rabbi mm -hmm. to <coughs> Hebron. Hebron. Yeah. To Machpelah. Yeah. That's cool. That's. And it takes an armor bus to get there. Years ago. There's actually a fourth. Yeah, and it's the field of Jeremiah. Right. Yeah. 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 Same thing. You can't go there either. And and the messianic significance of all of those is important, but especially of Jeremiah. Wow. I mean, How about that? Well, I was able to go onto the Temple Mount. Oh no, you can. Yeah. yeah. No, I understand that. It's just hit me. It's just hit me. Even though I wasn't Jewish, how much of a blessing. I mean, I all right. I knew it then too, but. You know that I've actually been there, like to many of you, I'm sure. But it's like, oh my goodness, it's it's an awesome Secular Jews honor. can go as well. But I had a question. Yeah, well, religious Jews can go too, but they can't bring up any type of prayer material, and they get slowed down in the line. And we, I mean, the uh, Gentiles go right past them. Tuesday Night Live. They they did a wasn't it Tuesday Night Live? Yeah. 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 He did a whole big deal about how you know he was there for. Jeremy's there, standing. It's like people are walking you know, past right him. Right past him, and he, like, they won't let him in. Yeah, <laughs> he couldn't even bring a Barbara Streisand LCD on it. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was funny. Can yeah. I ask a question? Yes, ma'am. Going back to Abraham bowing. Okay, I don't know the Hebrew word, and y'all would. Could that word bow have something to do with humility versus oh, I think it's all versus it worship? It was not worship. No, I understood that. I wanted to know, does that Hebrew word have something to do with humility? Yeah. Okay, you're saying yeah. yeah. Um, when he uh, when he bowed down there, um, let's see, where is it? It's not verse 3, is it? Seven. Verse 7. 7. It's he, he literally... Bow down, mm -hmm. and you know there's no worship in this passage at all. He's simply honoring these people and saying, "Okay, um, you guys are, are witnesses. I'm buying it." And there it is. So, yeah, I don't, I don't think we need to be concerned about his uh, what he was doing there. I, I think it was concerned. a definite, definite yeah. humility thing. Absolutely. We're good. All right. That was good. So. Let's, let's move on to my favorite part of this whole deal. Uh, was there anything that we wanted to look at there? You know, after the Hittites, there are no more Hittites, right? So you can make Hittites jokes without getting, hurting anyone's feelings. <laughs> okay. So uh, we pick up in chapter 24, 
uh, of probably one of the, the greatest stories. Um, who can give me the, the, the bottom line about this, you know, put your hand under my thigh. What is up with that? I'm from New York. Don't you put your hand near my thigh. It's, it's worse than that. <laughs> See if you can do it. All right. <clears throat> so, the idea is what the, the sages say about this. I think specifically Rashi. Anyway, um, they say about this is, why is it, why would he put his hand, order his servant to put his hand there? Because that's kind of like a, it's very immodest. And Abraham, Abraham was the, yeah, the, the thigh under the thigh area would be the private area. Um, so that would be so immodest. Why on earth would Abraham, such a modest man, ask his servant to do that? And the reason is because at this point, there had been no commandments given like the Torah with the exception of circumcision. That was the only commandment to be given. And the sages say that when you fulfill a commandment, it sanctifies whatever you're doing it with. And so that being said, the only commandment that's been given so far is circumcision. So the only sanctified object that Abraham has is his private area. So that's why it's done there. The point of his circumcision is a much more uh, nice way of saying it. Exactly. And now... The people in Gastonia are really. <laughs> that's like, oh my goodness! It's the ancient Near East equivalent of the modern day pinky promise. Now we have to wait until my wife gets there. Yeah, that's it. Yes. Thank you. No, no, it's, no, it's just, they won't do it to you. It's okay. But the concept of a covenant, I think, is important. Covenant. A covenant, because you think of a covenant, you have two parties, and they kill a bunch of animals, and the understanding is if one person is told up to his agreement, may he become like the animals. Right. I think, I think Abraham and his servant have the same understanding, where Abraham, he knows he's getting old, his son, who's in his late 30s, has no wife. He's got a bunch of other grandkids from Ishmael, but the promised son is still without a wife. Abraham knows that God's promised him to have descendants. So it's gonna, he, it's gonna so he's right. bringing the focus right. to the promise. Exactly. So he he's got his servant to understand that this task that I've this oath that, that you're taking is for the continuation of my exactly of my people. Exactly. And if this and if you fail yeah. to 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 get this you know uh, task. Uh, done successfully, God will raise another, but you will again. It's almost like the, the, the cutting of a covenant. You will have no, no children. This is our covenant amongst each other. I right. think that's the picture. And, and this oath is done right. if you don't exactly. step up. Yes, ma'am. That's what I was going to say, because he's the father of many nations. And right now, he's the father of one guy, and it's about to end. Right. Peter, no pressure. Oh, sorry. I get it. I get it. Yeah, good, good, good. So, um, we don't have to do that hand-thigh deal. No. <laughs> and I don't have to find anybody else to do it. That's great. The, um, That's right. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kick out a question to um, anyone in the room, but particularly the up men, if they are up to the task. And if not, you can do research and get back to me later. In fact, I expect you to. But I noticed this year in reading through the portion that Eliezer's name is strangely missing. In fact, the entire passage refers to him only as Abraham's servant, or more interestingly than that, Haoved, the servant, or Haish, the man. In fact, at times it's almost like pronoun confusion as we talk about labor, we talk about servant, who is the man who's doing all this stuff. Um, so, so, who is. Oh, there we go. Well, I, that, that actually was going to be the next point. 
was why is there no name for this guy? We assume it's Elazar of Damascus because we've already, you know, we've got we've got the connection there. But here, those pronouns can speak of an angel. It can speak of Messiah. It, I mean, you've got a lot of stuff there that could work. And the picture is, as my, my, my dad was commenting on this last night, he, the servant, whoever he is, is a picture of the Ruach. You have Abraham, who is the father, sends his, you know, the, the, the Ruach to go find his a bride, right, for his son, who is Mashiach. So, so it's, it is a, a four-person parallel to the divine, you know, picture of redemption as well. Hmm. Good, good. I just, I just think we, if we actually don't want to overlook those little things because that's why we do this. That's so, so good. Ha'ish, ha'ovid. Is it Evid? I thought it was Evid. Ovid. Ovid. I would say, I think the fact that he calls him, that he, when he gives, when he's praying to God, meditating in his heart uh, for confirmation, and he does uh, say many times that Abraham, my servant, uh, you've blessed him. You know, Abraham, my master. So it does. It seems like him at the well would definitely be uh, the guy. Exactly, the actual guy. Whoever the guy. That's yeah. Question off. Yeah. But, but the, I guess the only thing that came to my mind was it reminds me a lot of Ezekiel, where he's referred to as son of man over and over yeah. and over again. This sort of mm -hmm. weird title. It's not a name. Um, which is sort of like what this servant seems to get over and over is either the servant or the man. And it reminded me of that image almost, he's almost like a prophet. He's sent with a mission. He's sent with a goal. Mm -hmm. He's sent by the master to go and get the bride. And there is a lot of imagery there. In fact, later when we get to Isaac later, um, Rebecca's question, who is this man? Right. Um, harkens to two different messianic elements, one being um, sort of, Song of Songs, and it talks about the king coming out for his wedding, and it's you know, there is almost like this this man, you know, coming out with all this stuff, and then we also sort of see it's like you know who is this one coming from Brazra with robes and, and, and red. red, so it's um, uh, Yitzhak definitely takes on a very messianic image, and Juliana pointed out really interestingly enough that Yitzhak is referred to as my master by the servant, which is weird because up to that point it's always That's my, master. my master is Abraham, my master is Abraham, and then all of a sudden who's that? Who is that man is coming towards us? Oh. That's my master, yeah. which is like, but, wait, wait, that's the son and the father. But that is consistent. Ah, that, that is consistent in that culture, right? Yeah. The master is, you know, boom, boom. Just picking up on this this drash of the parallel, you know, where you have Abraham the father sends his servant, the ruach, to draw a bride for his son. Right. right. So it's interesting when he when uh, when Elzar gets there and he's kind of praying to himself as it were and you know and then as he starts interacting with her and then later her family he always glorifies his master like he never says anything about himself he always he always you know refers back to the master he always points back to Abraham or Yitzhak as it were you know, so again just another parallel there to the extent at a Midrashic level, Elzar is a picture of the Ruach. The Ruach always leads us back to... But, yeah, but, but also, Yeshua said the same thing. Absolutely. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying anything of my own. I'm just speaking the words of the Father. If you see me, you've seen him. You know, everything is all for him. That Just that whole deal. I, mean, I think he said exactly the same thing. So then you have Elzar arrives there at the well... 
arrives on he arrives on ten camels. So again, one 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 drosh drashic understanding, one midrash on this is, you know, the ten camels uh, are are likened to the ten words. So he he arrives. Um, <laughs> he, he arrives with, with um, the, the Torah. Let's just call it the Torah, right? And then he's 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 creates this test that he's going to use to try to find a worthy bride. And so when when Rivka comes up and he says, you know, I'm thirsty and my camels are thirsty, you know, and of course she lowers her 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 jar and she says, no problem, I will give you water. And I will water your camels. Okay? So what you have there is, again, just work the, the parallel here from a, from, a mid, from a midrashic standpoint. What you have is Rivka responding, being sensitive to the servant or the ruach, mm. but also equally, and I would even argue, I mean, from the imagery, you're almost more attentive to the mitzvot yeah. because she she waters the servant and then it says then she says I'll water your camels right now the language used here is thirsty camels and a thirsty camel when they get ready to drink they drink between 10 and 15 gallons does everybody know that the, the hump goes down <laughs> as they as they get you know it's like a little water gauge <laughs> and as they drink so they're storing it up. So they drink between ten to fifteen gallons each. Mm. There's ten of them. Okay. So this wasn't just. Let me just pour a couple jugs of water here. Yeah. She is working here. She is going to the well. She's drawing up. She's drawing up water from the well. She's going back, pouring it out. Going back. I mean, this was. This didn't happen like that. This. Yeah. This took. I'm guessing. Obviously, this took a while for this to happen. Right. And she was willing to just, you know, to serve. to take to serve and to uh, uh, pour herself out, maybe as a way, you know. But she was willing to just, you know, do whatever it took. But to the extent, from a midrashic level, you have the camels representing the ten words or like or, or the mitzvot. She is attentive. She's she is um, uh, sensitive to the. Servant, the Rach, but she's attentive to the mitzvot. And then even when he asked her, he said, "He said, you know, uh, where's your where's your family's house, and is there room for us to lodge?" She says, "She says yes, there's room for you to lodge." And actually, she I mean, she says she says there's straw and fodder and fodder. So she's concerned she's about saying, the camels. She's concerned about the mitzvot. Yeah. In this in this drashic understanding. Yes. There's straw and fodder for the camels, and yeah, in 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 we've even got room a for place you. for you. Yeah. We've got a place for you as well. Right? That's good. But truly, yeah. ten camels do take a lot more room than one man. Well, no. So that's in the I mean, course. Spatially. Yeah, but you could you could leave the camels outside. It wasn't just the specific mitzvot he was meeting, where she was meeting. What's the specific? Do you, is there a specific mitzvot she was? Well, he's he's out? using the ten camels representing the ten words, which would be the ten commandments. Okay. So that's the whole draw. Yeah, the whole which is then as, as much as he takes care of the camels, the he's, she's taking care of the Torah. She's doing the mitzvot. One second, I just want to point out, if you look to the scripture, um, 16, 24, 16, the young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring, filled her jar, and came up. Where's the jar? 
It's on her head. Now, this guy who runs up, she does not know. He says, please give me a little water to drink from your jar. What's she got to do now? She's lowered her jar. She's got to take the jar down. I mean, I'm from New York, you know? I'd be looking at him going, couldn't you ask me before I got it up here? Now you want to know? You want to drink now? I would have been walking. Of course, I wouldn't have been chosen. <laughs> to, add, to add to the Midrash, uh, Rashi says that, that the, from the language that Abraham's uh, uh, instruction is to Eliezer, that he is giving him also all that he owns as a down payment, mm. as it were. In other words, Isaac's inheritance was instant. And, uh, and then the language goes on to say that the way that Eliezer describes his journey of 17 days is immediate. When he describes it later, it's immediate. He's immediately there. Uh, uh, at the moment that it said, it said the reason why was because uh, that so that Rivka would not live a moment longer in paganism than was necessary. So he she, so the journey of 17 days was instantaneous. And and the and the uh, um, that happened in Nathaniel. Yeah, the, and the and the the uh, the discussion about and Ra Rashi also recognizes the fact that Eliezer tells a different story than what has happened. Abraham says, "I will send my servant ahead." When Eliezer explains it, he does not say that. He said that Abraham said that he that, no that God sent his servant with. So this there's the same element that who is this person speaking? Right, right. Is this the servant, or is, is this, this the messenger, or is it both? Right. And, and and and, but but the point is that not just Rashi. Actually, there's like five sages that are, that really go off on this. Like this is a really they recognize that this whole uh, uh, matter of, of of inconsistencies is is bound up in a in a great deep truth that is to be revealed. Amen. They they see that. It is and it's messianic. a good thing. It's it got to be messianic. And actually, and actually, the Gutnik actually says, just like the days of Messiah, Messiah will not wait one moment longer that his people would live in exile until the very moment of redemption. So a time of 17 days would be shortened to an instant. I love it. I love it. That's right. Yes, and then yes. Two really neat things about the meeting of her was one you would know people by their fruit. And Yeshua even says, if anyone wants to take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also, you know, go the extra mile. And that's exactly what this servant wanted to use in order to find this person. Yeah, she went the extra was, camel. Yeah, yeah, 10 times more. Yeah. And then I thought it was just so cool that it, they, he knew just by looking at her that she was a virgin. Obviously, you can tell if somebody is beautiful, but you can, it's, it's another thing entirely to see that somebody is modestly dressed enough for that they look, they look young or they look like they're not married. Innocent. And innocent, yes. Okay. Verse, uh, verse 21 is one of my favorites. I got him, then you, and then you. Um, verse 21. She quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water. And she drew for all his camels. Verse 20. And then verse 21. What's he doing? Then it gazed at her in silence mm -hmm. to learn whether the Lord has prospered his journey or not. He's just watching. But as you pointed out, 
There'd be nothing to watch if she didn't do anything. So that whole concept of doing stuff, the mitzvah. Which, so if Rivka is a picture of Isaac's bride, of Mashiach's bride, mm -hmm. then we should all be looking at Rivka's life and asking ourselves... This is looking like me. Exactly. exactly. Am, I, am I sensitive to the Ruach and doing the mitzvot yeah. and exhibiting the character of Abraham, right? I mean, after all, she is his niece, and what is she? She's, she's, she's exhibiting hospitality and all of the same characteristics that Abraham, you know, is known for. Amen. All right, so do I have one, two, three, or one, two, three? It was your, your one. Okay. You, you're the one. So going back to the, the oath between the servant and uh, Abraham. Yes. Um, the servant is, is thorough in making sure he understands exactly what Abraham is saying. He says, he even asks the question, suppose the woman isn't willing to follow me, what do I do then? Do I bring your son to the land to get the, the woman? And Abraham says no. And so my first point is like, the, the servant makes sure he understands exactly what Abraham wants him to do Good. In, in, in case the worship should happen. Good. But also, uh, Abraham is still um, aware of the command that God gave him first, which is to leave the land that he was in. He says, no, don't bring my son yeah, back don't there. Don't do that. <laughs> if anything else, don't bring my son back there. So I thought it was cool that, one, the servant uh, made sure he found out exactly what his master intended, and two, Abraham is still obeying the original command that God gave him. Excellent, excellent. So even, even in the midst of, i got to do something here, to get my son a bride, it doesn't mean that I think the circumstances are so bad that I can override God's commands. Don't we, don't we tend to want to do that? Man, it's going to be really, really, really difficult for us to fill in the blank. While we're at Grandma's house, maybe we should just forego that. Or this year we'll, because it, it doesn't happen there, does it? That's good, in both cases. And I think knowing exactly what we're supposed to do, to me, is the greatest freedom I've ever experienced. Knowing what I can do to please God, knowing what I should not do, is amazingly free. It went from you, was it you? It was you. And then, you know, you're done now. I, 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 I'll, I'll still say something. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't sure what order you got. You got the order all in your head. So you're, the, you're, you're next. Okay. Um, keying off of what Mr. Epham said about um, she was mirroring Abraham's example um, and character, even the words are similar here. You talk about running. It harkens back to Abraham running to take care of the strangers who show up at his tent. Um, and even again, the the I know it's interesting that we just got done with the passage where Abraham like is all this up and down. He's ascending. He's descending. He's bowing. He's all this you know up and down stuff. And that's the other language is given for um, Rebecca again, ascending, descending. Um, she showed herself to have the the character of Abraham. But it's also cool to see that generations carry over. We see like with um, Abraham's example and when he, he calls um, the servant, he does the whole under the thigh swear thing. The same thing happens with Jacob with Joseph. Right. He says, hey, you know, put your hand under thy thigh. Promise you're not marrying me in Egypt. You're taking me back to the land of Israel. Mm -hmm. And we see here as well um, another parallel with, between Abraham and Jacob. Abraham you know, talks with the language you know, uh, the Eliezer, when he's quoting Abraham, says, you know, the God, God, before I've walked, will send his angel with you. Again, that kind of comes back to, like, um, 
Jacob's blessing over his children, which also kind of carries that I've walked before God, he's had his angel to protect me, this imagery and language that shows up again. And Jacob is two generations from Abraham. So we see that Abraham and, and Eliezer again, even Eliezer is carrying on some of these, these um, this, this glorification of God and the types of things that parallel some of the way that Abraham would have acted. Abraham was such a brilliant example. What well, wasn't that? Isn't that what God said? Was it Genesis seventeen? He will train his, his, his household to obey my commands. And he did such a good job that even two generations later, they were copying him almost to the word yeah. and the way that he yeah. acted. And that that I think is an inspiration for us that we would want to be such um, such can so consistent and so stalwart in our obedience that you know fifty years, sixty, hundred years later they're still acting like we did because we were following God. Isn't that great? Everybody know the Rechabites? Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. If you don't know the Rechabites, write it down. In English, it looks like Rechabites. Mm. It's Rechabites. They're uh, same, consistent, along those lines. Um, did I miss anybody? Well, it was you. They, they weren't too big on their 21st birthdays. But the concept between an oath versus confirmation in regards to the servant's prayer or his, his inward meditation I think is very important when he's trying to find someone and I, and I see this mistake a lot the way people pray or ask God for confirmation they want a neon sign that appear from heaven with an arrow pointing on the right person mm -hmm. and a heavenly voice but he, but he, and, and the tone right exactly <laughs> and he doesn't ask for an omen like that right. he asks for I want someone to have an opportunity to exhibit the characteristics that I want them to have uh, within themselves. That's what he wanted to see yes. and to witness. Yes. And that's just so important to to pray and to ask God for those types of confirmations, not for you know, balls of fire from the sky, yeah. but for just those opportunities. Would you not say that as you read through that particular paragraph, that it's, it's really just an aside mm -hmm. that she happens to be breathtakingly attractive yeah. and a virgin? It seems to be an aside. The focus, clearly, just on volume of text, is on the fact that she did what he was looking for her to do. So he's looking for character and not comeliness, and he got it. And the attractiveness was just a bonus. Heck of a bonus, though. It's always a good bonus. Yes, ma'am. Heck of a bonus. Speaking of a bonus. Kind of along the same lines, but a little bit different. Um, I was thinking about the fact that Isaac is 37 when his mom died, uh, and he gets married at 40. So that's pretty old. Um, I mean, for for that, I don't know. If, in that in that particular culture, them spike words in that particular culture, because I think he lived to like 180. 175. So Isaac. Oh, Isaac. Isaac, uh, Abraham, 175. So 180. Yeah. Um, so that's a, that's a, um, a long, much longer lifetime than we have. So Speak for yourself. <laughs> Sorry, What's the point? So um, it may not have, in my mind, it's like, you know, you didn't get married until he was 40. You know, he, here it's like, you know, people have been married at 18 and 20. So 40 is like, oh my goodness, you waited a while. Mm. But he lived to 180, so maybe a little bit different. But, um, I, I think it's interesting, though, that he, here he is, 37, between 37 and 40, whatever, um, when Abraham sends his servant to go get him a wife. And I think that uh, 
a lot of the, like, our culture that I grew up in, um, if we were Abraham, God promised him descendants like the seashore and like the stars. Um, I think he had license to just sit back and relax. God said he would give him plenty of descendants. Sure, his son's not married yet, but God promised that, so let, God will take care of it. Let go and let God. Right, you know, you know, just cross his feet and just wait. Yeah. Because obviously God promised that, so God will bring the wife. It has to. I mean, he has to. Can't yeah. deny himself. But he didn't do that. And I think um, I, I think Rabbi Compel has, has a similar teaching on, like, um, we, God has prophesied many things through prophets, but we need to bring them to pass. Mm -hmm. God prophesied that his people would return to their land, mm. but we need to go to the land. I mean, you know, we can, sure, we can just sit here in the United States and, like, wait for that to happen, or, well, we can go, because <laughs> that's the part of the prophecy, that's the whole point. And, um, and I think that, you know, here, as soon as Abraham acted, and he sent his servant, even before the servant was, wasn't even finished praying, God had already fulfilled it. All Abraham had to do was take that one step, and God completely handled the whole who's, thing. Who's thinking Nakshon? Right. Yeah. You know? What's, what are we talking about? Come on. That's First, it, right? It's like, come on, who's, the water's up to your... <laughs> it's like, so what? Step into the water. Next, then I'll be worried. God, God said, I'll, I'll part the sea. Somebody had to step in? Good. Outstanding. I think that's an excellent point. That was my wife. That was your wife, yes. Still is. Still is. That's right. Yeah. So so now now we appear to have some understanding of why we have a study class. Yes. Four beautiful daughters. Kind of dovetail on what Diana said. Abraham's done this before. He told it when he went up to sacrifice Isaac. Isaac asked for Where's the uh, ram? He's like, God will provide a ram. Yep. We had to go through the action of obeying and like Amen. actually making it happen Amen. before it actually yes. came. Yep. Good. Excellent. All right. I'm going to move us forward here. So uh, <clears throat> moving into bad rep territory. We'll take a look, please. Verse 28, chapter 24 and verse 28. Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban. Laban ran out toward the man to the spring. Now, I think Laban gets an easy rap from the church, and he ought to be pushed a little bit harder. But being from New York, I can tell you right now, if my daughter showed up at the front door and had a nose ring in, I'd be running to the spring, too! Where's the guy that gave me this ring? What's up with that? I just would not be satisfied. So I want to just take a look here at Levant. What's the deal here? What's the deal here with his attitude? Would you say that he's happy about this relationship? I think he's overjoyed. Why is he overjoyed? Because there's an inheritance. There seems to be a lot of money involved here. Yes, he's up and, oh, yes. All right. Came to the spring. We did this. Speaking to my heart. Got the bracelets, the nose deal. Verse 50. Levan and Betuel answered and said, The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go and let her be the wife of your master's son as the Lord has spoken. So they're ready to go, and then what's what's happened? 
did I just pass it? Where, where's the Where's the year deal? Fifty-five. Yeah, all right, it's coming up. Her brother and her mother said, "Let the young now." They've already said in verse fifty, "Hey, we can't say good or bad. This is coming from the Lord. So it's not up to us. It's up to you. We can't can't tell you what to do." She says, "Yeah, I want to go. This is great. Got all kinds of jewelry, silver, gold, and garments. Gave them to Rebecca." Verse fifty-three. As soon as they see all the treasure that's coming out, the men who were with them ate and drank, spent the night, rose in the morning, sent me away to my master. And the brother and the mother said, Oh, no, let the young woman remain with us a while. At least ten days after that she may go. Now, that's in my version. Didn't we have a year when we read it this morning? Yeah, a year, year or, or ten months. months. A year or ten months. So I got at least ten days? It might say ten. It says ten. Um, just as ten? Oh, okay. Okay. Because I'm thinking, yeah, they just want the girl to hang. Maybe he'll just keep bringing That's gifts nice. in. So like, yeah, just wait ten. Ten yeah. what? Just ten. ten. Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. Ten. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Just like Laban, he wasn't clear. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Good. I had. <laughs> that was Jeremiah. I knew, I knew it was a scroll. Let's briefly mention, why is it that um, Bessuel is mentioned? Bessuel. I like um, you. I, can, uh, I think it's Basul. Basul. <laughs> <laughs> How are you saying? I'm only kidding you, um, But then, why is he not mentioned throughout the rest of it? Like, it, it seems like Laban, Laban is the man. Laban. Whoever his name is. <laughs> How are you to pronounce things? Yeah, why the mother seems to have the power. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Where, the mother. where did Rebecca run to? Her mother's house. Her mother's house. Hmm. Oh, and now who's who's in who's seemingly in charge if not the mother? The brother. The brother. Laban. Laban. But obviously Betuel is still there because he's in the story. If the dad has several wives, each wife has a household, and so the oldest son would be the head of that household. That works. That works. But I think that well, there's two things. First, the sages teach that Bethuel dies in the middle of the story, yeah. and he tries to kill the servant because he realizes none of the wealth is coming to him. Yeah. And so God, no. Yeah, I, um, I always figured he was, you know, bedridden or stuck in a chair or something. Maybe I think you know, to me, see, some kind of palsy, the little that, girl. Yeah. <laughs> That's possible. Not no, you never I know. See, you know I, he just I, couldn't make, he just Bethel, couldn't make the decision. He couldn't talk. He couldn't move. Yeah. Bethuel shows up and he makes comments. He seems to be a part of the story, okay. Okay. but a really minor, boring part of the story. And um, what it, 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 to me, and this is actually what I was going to say earlier, Jeremiah dovetailed it nicely, it contrasts this with Abraham. Abraham is the patriarch. Abraham sets a standard that his family is following three generations later. Bethuel is the perfect picture of like a really kind of pathetic dad yeah. it's like he's there he's kind of sort of in charge only because he's old but he has, really has no authority Rebecca goes to the mother's family it's the mom and the brother who are really take charge step up kind of people and the dad's just kind of wishy-washy sort of half there when he wants to be mm-hmm. kind of has a little comment mm-hmm. here and yeah. that's about it yeah. it reminds me of last week's Haftarah portion Juliana and I read it um, together and talking about the Shunammite woman Shunammite woman is great. She's a go-getter. She has all these great plans. Her husband's lame. Like, where is he? He hardly shows up the whole way through the story. He's not an evil man, but he's just, he's not a man. He doesn't seem to take the lead in his family. And I think that's what we see with Bethuel. And I think that that maybe, that could be part of the problem. Why Laban's so, such a sketchy character. He's got kind of a father figure who didn't, you know, like we saw, unfortunately, with David. You know, never told his son, hey, what are you doing? He just kind of took his hands off and let the people yeah. run the, 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 the inmates, I, run the asylum. I, I think that fits. I think I can work with that. Good. 
what's, what's the whole um, oh blessed of Hashem this is from Hashem we can say yeah. nothing against it so for pagans does this does this show that they're pagans and they, they knew I mean they're brothers Abraham so they knew about God and they right. just kind of mixed right. them in or that they had maybe Laban had a relationship with God and later yeah. on became uh, idolatrous so yeah. it's all speculation I'm not sure but I, one thing I did find was interesting was um, apparently the Hamash is trying to say something because it, in brackets, so this is text that they are adding. It says, I prepared a place for you and removed, and then puts in brackets, and removed the idols from the house. <laughs> so it makes it look like at least he's yeah, I mean, very big. Levon, I mean, if, if he doesn't get a bad rap here, something's wrong with yeah. our, our view of the text. Well, I mean, when Abraham's lifetime, whenever he goes somewhere, people always say that he's a man of God, even if they, they themselves are idolaters. That's right. So I, I think, especially in Abraham's lifetime, that he's he and his household recognizes people of God. Yeah, that, that may be why. Even the kings he deals with, you know, are like, why would you do this? Why why would you lie to me like this? When yeah, yeah, I mean, not only do I, oh, do I know you better than this, but you told me about that God, and He is going to take me out. <laughs> Fortunately, I didn't touch the girl. Take her back. Yeah, that kind of thing. It is very inconsistent there. From next week's portion, uh, Jacob's response <coughs> upon returning to the land is, is, this is the fear of my father. Right? In Lavangaju, was that he, he had he had dwelt in Laban's right. uh, actually from two weeks from now. Mm -hmm. uh, he's, he had dwelt with Laban, but had not participated. And so Laban is the is the archetype he's for idolatry. I mean, yeah. and not just. I mean, we 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 talk about Laban, you know, and you can you add, you know, all the people in Scripture that are, you know, are the, you know, the, like the pictures of, you know, like we say Adolf Hitler, you know, <laughs> you know, we should say, like Laban or you know Haman and Laban. Right. Those exactly. are the, those are the ones that are the are the real bad guys. Yeah, and in fact, I think in two portions from now, you're going to get where he where Jacob says, you know, you've changed my wages so many times. If it weren't for the fear of my father Isaac. Which I think we want to bring up next week or the week after because that's an awesome picture I think, especially of a dad, man of running a household and so forth. If it wasn't for the fear, the fear of my father Isaac, you would have continued to mess over me, and and that's Levant is the way to go. If you look at what the servant says, I bowed my head, worshipped the Lord, and blessed the Lord God of my master Abraham, who led me in the way of truth. How are they going to respond to him? Other than, oh, it must be God's will. Yeah. I mean, even if they don't believe, this servant was so assured mm -hmm. that God had worked out all the details and put everything in place. He's, he's passionate about what he believes. Plus, there's been an angel here doing this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Yes, ma'am. I want to speak a little bit to, um, in Bethel's, Bethel's defense, he raised the godly young woman. You know, maybe Laban was you know, a miss in areas. But he raised the godly young woman. Mm -hmm. So I would have to back him up a little bit. Maybe he was a quiet man, you know, a gentle man. Who knows? We're, we're speculating on what he really is. Except his name is Bethel. Bethel. You know, in that house of God or no. God's house. No. What does that mean? Is, Bet is house. Bethuel. 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 Okay. Bethuel is, okay. Um, well, Bet is house, right? This is not. This is man of okay. God. I'll take the yeah. word for it. Bethuel. But at any rate, he raised a godly young woman. 
She didn't just know the mitzvah. You're right. You know. And and uh, whose daughter are you? And she said, the daughter of Bethuel. Okay. Even though she ran to her mother's house, she made it clear that that was her father. And I think you're right. I think that's kind of typical for a young woman, though, to run to her mom. Mm. You know, to tell her the good news. Or, I got a nose ring. I, I can see your daughter's running. <laughs> I can see your daughter's running to Alan. Absolutely. Or me and they, running to my and mom. And they did. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> to tell them the good news. Okay. I can, we, we're going to give uh, Bethuel a... Uh, a buy there. But not Levon. But not Levon. <laughs> That's exactly right. He but not Levon. But uh, yeah, to, to, the, uh, to his name, uh, it's not Bethel, it's Bethuel. And it, uh, I, I'm just seeing man of God as, as a, a definition. It's not house of God. That would be Bethel or Beit El. All right. So 2461, Rebecca and her young women arose and rode on the camels and followed the man. Now, if there's any time where you could have put the servant's name, it would have been right here. Okay. So I'll get up, and Eliezer is about uh, half a click off already, and they're you know just trying to keep up with the guy because he can't wait to get back. <laughs> but this, you know, is they followed the man. It's uh, Haish, yes, this time. It is. Yeah. It's, it's almost a little redundant how it says proceeded after the man. The servant took Rebecca and went. Mm -hmm. Mm. Right. Those two sentences really say exactly the same thing. Yeah. But one is the man and the other is the servant. Mm. In the same that. breath, he's the man That's and right. the servant. I mean, if, if you're not seeing the messianic overtones here, something's something's missing. Well, I don't know. If you kind of take it literally, it says it followed the man and the servant took. Right? So are we talking two different people or is it the same person? Exactly. Yeah. Is it two or is it one? Or is it both? Wow. <laughs> It's both, yes. It's either or or both, yeah. It could be two. Who's the shiny guy? Right, yeah. <laughs> and, why, and why is he up front there leading the way? Okay. 24, 6, was it? That's not the end of it yet, is it? Where do we end? Where, where do we end? That was 61. Now we're on 62. 25, 18. Let me make a quick comment. Yeah, just one second to make sure. 60 what? We end? The verse we were just discussing was 61. Does it go to the end? Does this portion no. go to the end of the chapter? 25? No, 67. Oh, okay. I can go into 25. Yeah, that's right. Okay. And beyond. Yeah. So, um, verse 63 is where we'll pick up with after we get the uh, small comment from the large man. Real quickly, uh, I know I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but going back to our discussion about Well, your dad uh, did, so it's okay. Yeah, discussion about Laban, two parshas ahead in by it say, uh, it mentions that um, Rachel steals. Um, oh, her Laban's father's idols, from Laban's idols. So yeah. they, he obviously still is very pagan. Yeah, mm -hmm. so I just wanted to make that comment. We'll get into that later. But good, just good. good. Picked up on the uh, picked up on the family idols. Mm -hmm. Well, he doesn't have any family idols now. Mm -hmm. No, they got snatched. We can't skip over verse 62. Wait a minute, wait a minute. 62. Of course not. Well, that's, no, that's, that's exactly what I'm bringing up on 63. Oh, okay. So, so let me tee it up. That's right, yeah. Let me, let me tee All right. So, so when did we last hear of Isaac? I mean, we got this deal with Abraham and presumably Eleazar of 
Damska, right? So we've got Damsek, Damasek, okay? Uh, so we've got Eliezer of Damascus, and we've got Abraham and the whole five deal, and you know we got a mission. We read about the mission. Now we get the girl coming back. But Isaac, I don't recall being talked about during that whole get me a bride deal. If I were Isaac, I'd want to be there. I'd want to talk about that. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. redheads, blondes, tall, <laughs> short, you know, whatever. But he, when's the last time we saw him? The, now, that's interesting. You say the top of Mount Moriah. Well, we never see him come down. Precisely. So, two things real short, and then you can jump in. First, um, the apostolic scriptures refer to a parable or a drosh that talks about Abraham receiving Isaac back, as it were, from the dead, implying that he actually died on the mountain. The sages say he did die on the mountain. And the ram's horn and where that one was, the creation and all the other. No, but it is interesting that you don't read about Abraham coming down the mountain as he did. I mean, this goes through painstakingly over and over again to make sure that you understood that the father was walking with the son. The son was in accord with the father. The father's in accord with the son. And they're going together. Where's the sacrifice? And they get to the top. Bam, poof, he's gone. Abraham comes down. There's no mention of Isaac. In fact, the very first mention of Isaac from that story until now is right here. Which fits with Greg Nimrod. Exactly. That's T, baby. So picking up on the drosh, it's so important to understand because whether it's true or not, is really a secondary as to the point that it's teaching. But you you have in verse 62, Isaac now comes back on the scene after he hasn't been mentioned since the top of the mountain, right? Um, and says, uh, And Isaac came from the way of Be'er the Chiroi, Goi, for he dwelt in the land of the Negev, or the south, some translations. But part of the reason, you know, this, this place, Be'er, which is a well, um, uh, there's a couple different ways this can be understood but um, uh, where the living sea is maybe one idea with the name of this well and whatever but so it's kind of got some cool connotations but one of the reasons why why the sages um, and this is a drosh that goes back a long time and we see it picked up in Jude right Jude picked up on it the, part of the reason why they say he actually died and was actually raised from the dead, he he was resurrected, is when you look at the Hebrew, the Yitzhak Bamibor, Be'er Ha'eroim. The way they look at the Hebrew there, the Bamibor, could be understood. I mean, in most translations in the English, it's it's translated come uh, came from the way of Be'er Lahiroi, but it could also be came out of Be'er Lahiroi. In other words, you could say, and Isaac came out of or up from the well, which the, 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 the living cool. sea, right? right. Where the living sea, right? So. 
So they look at the Hebrew here, and they look at the context of the whole story, and he was sacrificed, and then he disappears, and now he kind of magically appears coming out of the well, as it were. And that's why there's a, 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 a Midrash teaching that says, no, Isaac, in fact, did die, and God raised him from the dead. And, of course, for those of us who, you know, who are believers in, in Messiah, well, that makes complete sense, right? Because Isaac is a picture of Yeshua. So the father takes his only son, the one whom he loves, takes him to the mountain, and the son voluntarily, because remember, he's 37 years old when the sacrifice takes place. I, uh, you know, Abraham's, you know, you know, 137, right? So Isaac voluntarily laid himself down on the altar on Mount Moriah because he could have resisted his father and opted out if he wanted to. Absolutely. But he voluntarily laid himself down, and this is part of the reason why there's an understanding that he did die and God raised him from the dead and now we see him as it were coming out of the well where the living see. So um, and then he's going into the field to pray uh, as it were and that's when you know it says that um, uh, he lifted up his eyes which is Hebrew speak to say he had kind of a spiritual perception or view or, or vision, if you will. And at the same time, uh, Rebecca, who's approaching on the camels with the servant, right, lifts up her eyes. So they both lift up their eyes and have this. So there's there's something that's being communicated here. It's not that they just physically noticed each other. I mean, they did, but it was it's, it's trying to point out that when someone lifts up their eyes and sees... In Hebrew speak, that's that's a deeper spiritual scene, not just a happen to notice. Well, that's so. borne out by the very next thing. Rebecca lifted up her eyes, verse 64, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel. But that word for dismounted is not dismount, is to fall. She lifted up her eyes. Her eyes evidently met Isaac's. They had lifted up their eyes together. She fell off her camel. And she fell off the camel. <laughs> it was like, oh my goodness, boom! Now, if you've just seen a guy that's been raised from the dead, maybe that happens. It hasn't happened to me. And Isaac's a big guy. He is. He's, he's the fear of Isaac. I have a question. So I heard something earlier. I heard someone say something about three years in between the time that Sarah dies and um, when uh, Rivka is getting to Isaac. Is that true? Is there any basis for that? I thought I heard something about that. Well, Sarah dies when he's 37, and then he began when he's 40. So okay, so there's three years difference? Well, that's cool, because if you have the idea of he died, he's raised right before he meets Rebecca, and then you have three years' time in between the time that he I dies. Mean, what phase were Abraham to send for a wife when Isaac's still out there? Now, that's, that's, that's the father of the faithful. I was thinking the same thing. That's, what did he say we didn't hear it, was that? He said, what type of faith does Abraham have if in fact, if what he just, if what Greg just said is true, and that Isaac was actually raised from the dead, and he just came up out of that well, he was just raised, and this would explain perhaps why Rebecca falls off the camel. Well, Rick's point is, well, what kind of faith does it take to send a guy out on a mission to get a bride for your son 
if he hadn't even been raised from the dead yet. Mm. Now, you're yeah. not going to hear that in your Baptist pulpit. <laughs> 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 you have it. That's right. That's, a, that's a last sermon. That was the last <laughs> sermon. That's right. If the servant is in fact Yes. And what kind of faith does he have to have to fall out on his master's command? That's exactly right. It's like I'm God, working, Isaac's dead. I'm working for this nut. He wants me to go get a prize for a dead guy. <laughs> <laughs> but not only that, like he doesn't even question it. Right? Yeah, he goes, let me get this straight. Now, if I can't find anybody, am I supposed to bring him back there? How am I going to do that? He's, he's almost assuming that if Isaac was in fact dead at this point. He's almost assuming that if he goes and doesn't find it, when he returns, Isaac will be there. And what kind of faith must Eleazar have had when he gets back and he goes, she says, who's that? That's my master! Oh, yeah! I'm surprised he didn't fall off the That's right! Who's that? That's my master! What we see, though, you know, if we go back to the previous Parsha, you know, with the Akeda, what, you know, if you remember the narrative there, Abraham tells his, his servants, wait, wait here. I and Lad are going to go and, and, and worship, and we, we will, will return. return. Yeah. Right? So Abraham already, you know, God had already told him why he was going. Yeah. Hey, go up here and offer your sacrifice to your son. So he knew why he was going, but he told the servants, hey, we're going to go make sacrifice, and we will return. So even in that statement, Abraham always had faith that God had to honor his promise. Absolutely. Even if he actually slaughtered his own son, that God would have to, in fact, raise him from the dead because why, God why is he, not a man. Why, the writer of Hebrews. why did he know it? Why did he know it? Hebrews 11. I'm oh, sorry? Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11. Tell me why. In your own words, why did Abraham have to know that he had to raise Isaac from the dead? God promised that he would have sons or descendants through Isaac. Give me another reason. Give me more on that reason. What has already happened? Sarah's, Sarah's died. Right. No, before that. Abraham was as good as dead. And that's Sarah. True too. That's, true, that's true too. What's already happened in this man's life so that he's already been taught the lesson that it's going to be Isaac? I mean, he had, he had Isaac? I mean... Israel. We already did the Israel thing. He's already seen this movie. I'm not going to do that again. I did that Israel thing. No, 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 no. I've been told. This is the guy. He's already been told without any, any, it's not, he's going to come from your body. Then he did come from his body. Now he's got the guy. And God says very specifically, it's not that it's just going to be from your body, from her body, your direct seed. It's going to be this very seed. It's this guy. He's already been told. He already went around the whole "let's do it ourselves" kind of thing. Yeah. I'm gonna. I gotta. I'm gonna make something happen. That's over. We got Isaac. He knows full well, without a doubt, Isaac is his heir, and all of his descendants will come from Isaac. I gotta tell you, that's some serious faith to be able to look. At a, at a bunch of guys that work for you. And so you guys wait here. The lad and I will go up, and we will come back. Even though he's been told he's going up there to kill the boy. The guy. The man. <laughs> so, 
I, I, I think there should be no question. He's got Isaac 100% as the heir. Not a second Isaac, not another Isaac, the Isaac, which speaks to Messiah, right? The, the Isaac that married Rebekah was not a different Isaac, not another Isaac, not a second Isaac. It's the same guy. Lest people not want to agree with a something the scripture doesn't directly say. Uh, about the death of Isaac? Yes. Yes, go ahead. Because because there's a misunderstanding in because of our Christian heritage, some people's Christian heritage, there's a misunderstanding of what a parable is. Or what a midrash is. It's to teach a greater truth. Right. Uh, all of its points do not have to be true. It's it's as it were a sermon illustration. There was a man doesn't mean there was actually a man. It right. just means I'm going to tell the story. You'll get the point. And in the in this terms, whether it's true or not, it still teaches the same truth. And all of the points are pointing to a messianic promise, Amen. which is the point. Amen. That's exactly right. Um, one of the the best ways to tell if a midrash or a parable is a midrash or a parable or true is whether or not there's names used. The master gives all kinds of parables. I mean, he, he was famous. I mean, he, he told them, I'm going to talk to you in parables. And he always talked in parables. And, you know, the, the greater lesson oftentimes had to be taught to the boys in the back room because they just didn't get it. But you've got a parable going on right here. And isn't it interesting that the name of the servant is not there? which leads you to believe it is a parable. Mm -hmm. And yet there is a name. Isaac, Rebekah, Abraham. Those names are there. So it's like it's a mix of both. The, the master told all kinds of parables, but there's only one we know for certain was not just a parable. It was actual fact. It's a story he told of a man who died named Lazarus. Very cool parable name, story, and Lazarus <laughs> is Elazar. Oh, whoa! Yeah, anyway, good, good deal. Good. All right. I think uh, I'm tired of sitting. Well, we just fell off the camel. We just <laughs> fell off the camel. There it is. Well, that was, that was a joke when my, when my parents were young, is uh, the, the, the scriptures that teach that people should smoke because Re Rebecca lit off her camel. <laughs> yeah, there were no PCs in the garden. They had an apple. Yeah, uh, lit off the camel. All right, we are uh, final final comment here. Before we uh, we get to that last uh, last line, uh, that I think is so important, because uh, back to uh, to Greg's drosh, we we saw that in a way it could be that Rebecca was keeping the commandments, was honoring the Torah, and in so doing, was known by the servant, selected as such, and became. A mother was daily drawing from the well. There it is. I like that. You and the wells. Unbelievable. <laughs> but, um, but we see the same thing in Isaac's life. And I want to point that out to you as we close. So go ahead, Greg. Uh, so I've got a comment on 67. Go. And Isaac brought her into his mother's 
into his mother, Sarah's yes. tent. That's, that's the verse I'm going on. Go. <laughs> and took Rivka, and she became his wife, and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted for his mother. So uh, the idea here is we know, we know Sarah was a righteous woman. Right? Absolutely. Um, and in fact, in the, the Midrash Rabbah to Bereshit, there's a lot, of cool, a lot of cool things in the Midrash Rabbah for Bereshit, but with respect to Sarah, it talks about how uh, there were four things that ended when Sarah died. One was um, that her Shabbat candle would stay lit all week long from Shabbat to Shabbat. In other words, the, 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 Friday fire, evening. the fire, the flame never went out. It would stay lit from Shabbat to Shabbat. That ended when she died. Um, it talks about there was a blessing uh, on, in, on her dough, on her challah, yeah, basically, home, yeah. that, um, that ceased after she died. Uh, when she was alive, the, 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 their tent had four doors on it because they their, their curtains of their tent were always open to travelers, to anybody coming. That was their what they did. They were hospitable, and they would bring people in and teach them about the one true God. The curtains closed to her tent when she when she died. And then the fourth thing, uh, which I'm escaping, it's escaping me. Then there was one other thing. The cloud. Yes, there was there was a cloud, which the, which the sages understand was basically the Shekinah, the the presence of God dwelled over Sarah's tent when she was alive. When she departed, it also departed. But because Rivka exhibited the same godliness and the same qualities um, and the same character as Sarah, that when Isaac took Rivka into his mother's tent, that the Midrash teaches that all four of those things came back at that point. That the, that the Shekinah came back over the tent, the curtains opened, there was a blessing in the, in, uh, on, their, on her kneading trough, there was the, the, the uh, Shabbat candle that stayed lit. And so it's basically teaching that, you know, Riv, that Rivka was, um, uh, you know, the same mold, if you will, as Sarah. And so Isaac, who had been mourning his mother, now with this new uh, wife that exhibited the same character and qualities as as uh, his mother, he now he took joy in in that in, in in one sense because the essence of Sarah would now continue Amen. to live through. <laughs> I think uh, as a, as a dad who's uh, fairly recently gained two sons-in-law rather than lost to daughters. Um, I can appreciate that. And um, it must be time for make a prayers. Um, I, I'm trying to be diligent to, to share both with Gregory and even now with, with Joshua um, how pleased I am and proud of both of them that what I... What I have seen in our own home with regard to hospitality and teaching and um, support for the community, um, I'm, I'm already seeing in their homes. 
And uh, I can tell you that's a, that's a tremendous blessing. And, you know, we see this, I think, from your, uh, Josh, primarily from Isaac's point of view. Um, but I think Abraham was probably thinking, it, it, it was a bummer when my wife died. But look at that. The next generation is picking up the mantle, and God is blessing in the same ways. And I'm, I, I am just blessed and want to publicly um, praise these two men for... Uh, Already, I mean, it's only been two weeks, so you know, don't don't get your head swelled. Uh, but um, but I, I I truly am am thrilled that uh, my my daughters are having the opportunity to provide that same same kind of thing that we're seeing here, and I'm I'm, I'm thrilled and uh, no pressure, no pressure. Um, and I'm ex- yeah, I'm, just remember your name is Yitza. That's right. That's right. So I'm I'm just excited to see that and and. You know, that's, that's that whole multi-generational faithfulness thing. Well, let's close with just uh, one command from the Word of God. Uh, as you read through the book of Ephesians, it is astonishing to me um, that as a, as a guy who likes to work with men and wants to train and teach men and encourage men, it has always been astonishing to me that you would actually have to tell a man that he should love his wife. This just seems in- incomprehensible. And yet, we need that command. Because we need to remember that we need to do that. Because we can be callous. I'm speaking to the men. We can be callous. We can be uh, a little rough. We can be go-getters and get the job done and completely forget that we need to also love our wives. And I don't think it's by accident. The instant amongst some really great drashes and messianic pictures, Isaac, it says at the end of this portion, loved his wife. So inasmuch as Rebecca picked up and did the mitzvot and it was a sign, here we've got, right at the end, Isaac himself loves his wife and fulfills that command. And I think that should be a a watchword for us, that we should do exactly the same thing. And sweetie, I love you. I really do. But uh, the words shouldn't matter. You should see it in what I do. And if not, tell everybody here and make me feel bad. (laughs) <laughs> it'll change my behavior it always does let me pray for you guys good father we thank you for the word of God we thank you for for those of us who are married for our spouses and father I thank you that uh, you've given us such great examples and the patriarchs and the matriarchs of our faith I pray that we would take them to heart and that you would see changes in our own lives not that we would send out uh, men after uh, some encounter with our thighs, but rather that uh, you would find us faithful to look for the appropriate signs. That we would look for those that are obedient to you, keeping your commandments, loving you with a whole heart. And Father, I thank you for each one here. I think I know each one as best you can, and that they strive to be obedient to you, to demonstrate their love for you. Now, Father, we, uh, in the midst of uh, a crooked and perverse generation that appears to be going even further over the edge, I pray, Lord, that uh, you would send your son soon, uh, that he may establish his kingdom here, that we would remember that uh, we are servants of the king. And uh, as you have us, almost as it were, in exile here, that we would be great citizens 
and uh, lights to that crooked and perverse generation. And that you would find us faithful to your mitzvot. That we would be about your business each day. And we thank you for it. We pray it B'Shem Yeshua HaMashiach Adonainu in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah and our Lord. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you, folks.